Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. The Midwest Regional is pretty sweet, but I think just like the more priceless memories are you and your buddies, you and your dad, you and your son, going out with your dog and finding those wild birds, getting that first grouse, getting that, you know, it's, you can't beat that really. Why is it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood grain on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY podcast. My guest this week is Braden Gross. Braden, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to kind of jump in uh, to the topic of what brought you to the gun dog space, because I know that, you know, you're still brand new to it in a lot of ways, but for somebody that's brand new to it, you've already accomplished something that a lot of people have been chasing for a while and really haven't succeeded in doing so, and that's finding success within Nastra, and we're going to get to that. But first, I want to kind of introduce you a little bit more to the listeners. Go ahead, tell everybody where you're calling from and what kind of dogs you run. I am calling from Cedar Falls, Waterloo area of Iowa, and I run a German short hair pointer. Nice. What what made you want to get a German short hair? Well, my dad always talked him up and saying how he missed when he had him and when the pheasant population was good and him and his buddies shooting limits every weekend with their short hair. So he knew about short hair. So I said, no reason to not get a short hair. Right? <laughs> so, so you grew up listening to your dad talk about the good old days of pheasants. Did you have a chance to like go with him at all when you were growing up while he had those dogs? Wow. When I was growing up is he didn't have any short hairs at that time. And the bird population really just wasn't all that great around here is what I was told. But yeah. And so for those listening, I don't normally ask this a guest, but I think it's kind of pivotal but within this conversation. How old are you right now? I am 21 years old. 21. And so you got this short hair. And so the, the reason why the age is important is where you live, Iowa. Iowa used to be this knockout, drag out, 
upland hunting state within pheasants and bobwhite quail. And then it kind of went into like a dry spell for like five to maybe 10 years. Maybe that's a little, little long. So like in your informative years, you didn't get a chance to actually go hunt with your dad over his dogs, but you just listening to the stories and him kind of romanticizing the back in the good good old days, you uh, it, it intrigued you enough to where fast forward now you can go out on your own and you're wanting you're wanting your own dog. Exactly. I mean, he's just really blessed that I have the chance to hunt pheasants because I mean, not too long ago they never thought we'd have the chance again. So. I mean, it's growing rapidly, I feel like now, after these past few years, I keep seeing more and more, so. Yeah, the past few years, do you think that the population's getting better, or do you think you're just getting more experience in finding them? It could be a little bit of both, but I know we've had some places that I feel like every year for the past three years, since I've been really hitting it hard, the year before I got my dog in the last two years, and there, I feel like there's been more pheasants in some spots that mm. there was before. So you did do a season prior to getting your dog. How much did that motivate you? Were you on a list with a breeder and waiting, or were you just, I'm going to go pheasant hunting, and that's what that was like the catalyst to make you want to go get your dog? Yeah, my buddies, I got invited on a couple hunts, and we had some killer farms that I haven't hunted since, which kind of sucks, but... <laughs> There was a lot of birds in there, and man, you didn't need a dog to shoot the birds, but getting the birds back sure would have helped mm. to have a dog. So that's kind of what led me to having a dog and just how much fun I had walking, just how much more fun I'd have with a companion. Yeah, especially when you're hunting pheasants. I'm assuming that you got stuck in some cattail reeds a few times. Oh, yeah. It, it, they like to hide in that thick stuff. Yeah, that's always nice when you can send the dog in and you can stay on the outside of it. Oh, yeah, that that's the best part, really. I mean, <laughs> so so with being a primary pheasant guy, your dad grew up with short hairs. Did your dad do anything outside of short hairs? Did he ever screw with the setter or pointer back in the day when he was coming up? Oh, he I think he was all short hairs and he had some shed hunting labs, too. But. Okay. So did did he trial and test and all that stuff, or just primarily a wild bird hunter? He ran two Nastra trials, he said, and that was it. Because his all name's right. in it. His name and dog are on the Nastra website from, like, 1992 or something. And so he's on there, and his dog got fourth place, I think, in his first – run which is pretty cool so he dipped his toes in, in yeah. it at least yep all right all right so again you, you get your season in under you you decide that you want a dog more so for the recovery of it than finding it like you said if you're in the area you can go kick up a bird but man finding a especially a crippled pheasant and some of that thick stuff you can forget about it without without the dog's nose on the ground and so where did you end up getting your short hair out of so I got my dog at a Upper Creek Gun Dogs in California. He was, they were bred by David McCormick. And I don't know if anybody will know Leroy Merrill. He's from California too, but he's got, a, he bred a lot of the dogs in their line. A lot of field, okay. field champion blood. 
Right. And was that by design, field trial blood, or was this just, you know, it, you were told about the litter and you did what we all do on our first dog and just say, sign me up? Yeah, he, I mean, there's this guy we knew in New Hampton who knew about this litter, and we signed up for it right away. And my dad was like, you have no idea what you're getting yourself in. <laughs> He's sitting there laughing because he knows that that dog's just about to run away oh, from yeah. you. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, he knew that for sure. So t- tell me, what was it like getting the puppy, especially from California? That's a haul from where you're at in Iowa, and you're getting home. You're, you know, 21 years old. Well, now you're 21. I guess this was, what, you're 2019 when you got him home. So you're you're piecing this together on how you're going to train the dog, but what was the ultimate goal for you? Was it just go – shoot up a few pheasants and and have have the buddy on the ground with you that was it that's that was what i first thought was all gonna happen i'm gonna train my own bird dog and me and my buddies are gonna go shoot some pheasants over them it's gonna be a blast yeah (laughs) really what i was thinking when did when did it turn because again as i as i said a little bit earlier you you found a little bit of success with the nasher very early on and so when did that focus for you go from just hunting wild birds to maybe I have something here within the Nastra ranks? So me and my buddies, so we all had, I had a couple other buddies that got a dog around the same time, a year ahead, year behind, something like that. And we're all taking our pups for a hunt and just the way Finn, my dog Finn was running, it was just like, everyone was like, dude, are you going to like reel him in a little? And this is when he's <laughs> six months and he's, he was out of there. He was, and he was like that for a while. I mean, sometimes you'd walk up to him way far on point. Sometimes he'd bust birds. I mean, he was young. So I can see why people were getting frustrated by that. But well, so, yeah, I mean, did you have, did you have a collar on him? Did you, can you give me like a number? Like what was he ranging that early on? Oh man, he, my dad was saying he's never seen a puppy range like that in his life. Just like how he ran like he does now since he was six months old. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was probably ranging good three, 400 yards, (laughs) check back in, he'd be gone. And I was running a beeper at the time, which I didn't know anything about that GPS collar, which that would have been pretty nice having that. So when he got to the range where he couldn't really hear that beep no more, he'd tone him back and hopefully got within range. And we got that yeah. fixed up a little bit. <laughs> so three to 400 yards, but you said he's checked in, right? So like, it's not like he would just vamp out on you and say, deuces, I'll catch you at home. He he's out there hunting, and then he's still coming back to check in with you naturally. Like you're not recalling him; he was doing it on his own. Yep, we were always told that you can take the run out of a dog, but you can't put it in them. So we've seen that our dogs, or you can take the run out of the dog, but you can't put the run in them. Yeah. So we just, when they're young, we're just, hey, we're gonna. Once we decided that, really, we could be doing more than hunting with this. We're like. We're just, they're puppies. It's, we're not going to be making any corrections anyways. We're going to let them hunt. And they've had some points 10 yards from us and stuff. And they, 
they busted some birds a few hundred yards ahead of us. We've had it all, and that's what you get I, I, from the young puppies. Yeah, dude, and I want to stay on this topic for a minute because this is a hot-button topic when you're talking to gun dog, uh, especially newbies that, you know, maybe their first dogs. They get a little uncomfortable when their dog's, A, out of sight, and then B, busting birds, and you just said something that's very paramount to where it's, you're just going to let the puppy be a puppy. You're not going to correct it. Like, the bird is going to teach that dog a heck of a lot more than what you can in that instance. So are you just sitting there? I mean, I know you're getting upset. You you want to go shoot birds, but you're watching your young dog just up on the up on the ridge line, just busting bird after bird. And were you woeing him? Did he even have a woe? Like, what were you doing when you saw him bust a bird? Just kind of keep walking, and it is what it is at this point? So his first season, he didn't have a woe really at all. So it's kind of all natural there. And once he he would bust birds, and I'd kind of slow him down a little bit. But then... He'll just go right back out, and I just tone it because <laughs> we didn't really work too much on handling. Because the worst thing I, that could happen is just him boot licking from that, and that's really I knew that once he got older, we could work on the handling, and you'd understand a little more that I can still yeah. get out there. I just got to do my job and handle, and we're in this together, not just chasing him down everywhere. Well, and that that's impressive, especially like your first dog, first puppy, first season. You're 19. You you, you got your buddies out there. You already said they're ribbing you a little bit about your dog oh, out yeah. on the skyline. A lot of guys, myself included, when I first started. Like I'm not just being fair to unfair to other people, but I probably would have been in this group too, to where I'd probably start injecting myself unfairly to the dog. Did you see the dog growing or learning? from the birds, you know, oh, the bird yeah. with flush, would you see him naturally learn? And did that kind of help determine for yourself that you're on the right track in terms of how you were handling it? Yeah. I mean, uh, when you all have your first puppy, they're going to be chasing that bird, like no other right off the bat. And as the season came along, I mean, he started holding his birds longer. He started not chasing the birds as long because he knows he can't catch them. And, I thought it was a, I thought it was, even though we, I didn't kill thousands, hundreds of birds over my dog that year. I, I thought it was a successful season overall. Yeah. And, but you did get to shoot some birds. Yeah, so yeah, like we shot. when he properly handled them, you got to shoot some birds over. Yeah. Them. And then he got a second season and that was way better. <laughs> well, as it should be, right? Yeah. That, that sophomore season, man, I, I tell everybody like, the the puppy season it is what it is but that sophomore season man that's that's really when I, I have a lot of fun with young dogs but again it's just it's just important to where you recognized early on in your dog's freshman season that it's easier to pull a dog in with a check cord or a rope than it is to push a dog out with a check cord or a rope so yeah. you just letting them do that thing and then just taking the opportunities that it presents you it's it's a luxury that not many not many but not everybody at least in this country depending on where they live have that opportunity to do on wild birds. Talk to me about how he was handling runners. You know, a lot of people I know don't even take their dogs or puppies in their first season on pheasants 
because they run so much, do you think that that played a part in how he was mishandling some of the birds? Oh, I do believe so. Cause I mean, there's, I've seen amazing wild bird dogs flush a bird before and it really wasn't their fault. It's just sometimes that, that happens. I mean, it, they are running away and they loop back to where they're following that scent. I see them pop up and I see them really. My biggest difference is with them moving birds now is once he gets that scent, you can kind of see him like get really low and kind of then he gets really slows it up, you know, just because he knows that's a wild bird and anything can trigger it to flush. So he's, he starts getting in that, like, low stalking crouch almost, like, all right, it's here. I don't want to bump it. So you you sit, you can sit there and watch him play around with yeah. probing and, like, how close he can get before it flushes. And that's within his first season, right? Yep. And that that's what I tell everybody, man. Like, if it's in the genetics, it's in the genetics, and you just kind of let bird and dog figure each other out. It's in both of their – genetics and blood to you know the, this dance that they've been doing has been been going on for a lot longer than us you know training these dogs yep it's it's all in the genetics we just expose them to it so yeah so you got your buddies are ribbing you a little bit for the range and as you said that kind of got a little bit better but you know it I didn't hear anything three to 400 yards especially depending on the ground that you're you're hunting that you know that's that's a pretty good range i think for a dog especially if he's checking in with you and hunting with you if you go left he goes left when was it was it after the season after that that you said you know decided maybe i try something other than just hunting you know where did the nastra and desire to dip your toes into the trial system where did that come about and did it stem from the the hard charging or hard hunting that you saw in his first season yeah, that definitely had to play a part in it, just watching him run fields. I mean, because when you see the dogs run, you're like, man, I mean, they could probably compete in field trials because they're running like this. And not all dogs run like that either, which kind of puts you in a different category. And we kind of just, we loved our dogs right off the bat and just kind of want to expose them to more. And we heard some good things about Nastra that Steve Robisky of North Fork Kennels, he's big into NAVDA. And I, I looked into that and just Finn was not the strongest natural swimmer. I, I fixed that just with the force fetch and everything because he had a lot. I've been told he's got a lot of point and back and a lot of dogs that have that don't always have, you know, the natural swimming. So I looked into that, and NAVDA didn't really flip my switch. Wasn't, wasn't your thing. Yeah, which I want to be a professional trainer someday, and I believe that I should probably go check out some of those things just so if somebody's like, I want to pass a NAVDA test, I can help them do that. Yeah. And uh, the uh, NASTRO, we saw that there's just – a uh, place in the outside Des Moines, Osceola, Iowa, that had trials, and we were just looking at the rules and just like, well, our dogs kind of fit that. I mean, <laughs> try it. And the AKC and all that, 
just the being broke part kind of pushed me away at the moment because i mean i'm just working on my first bird dog keeping them steady to flush you know so we've worked yeah. on a steadiness like that just steady to shot steady to shot and fall but when you're hunting and stuff it kind of gets i mean you out they're steady to flush but some of that stuff gets a little doled up through that yeah stuff. it's not it's not a priority for you depending on what you, what it is that you're actually trying to do Yep. So we joined Nastra and have enjoyed everything about it, really. So, real quick, because I want to jump into Nastra, because we haven't really covered Nastra in any real detail on this podcast before. But you you mentioned dogs. You said that we, our dogs, would fit into this. They could compete right. in this. Uh, are you talking about a buddy and his dog? Who are we so, talking about here? Me and my dad got our two dogs from the same, same. Oh, so yeah. So when you decided to get one, he decided to get back into it as well. He said, "You're not going to have all the fun without me." Right. Exactly. He didn't want (laughs) me. And uh, he's he's been saying like it's kind of bringing out the young 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 guy in me. So that was. (laughs) You're you're helping keep the old man young. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. So you guys are just training and hunting together as if, you know, y'all are making up for lost time. Like you said, you didn't get a chance to hunt behind his dogs growing up. He was already out of it or or maybe the lows for Iowa pheasants went out. So now you guys are kind of catching up and and making up for lost time, so to speak. Exactly. I mean, we I spend more time with my dog than anybody I know, truly. I, I We run them on wild birds every day we can. We try to. We don't run them on wild birds during March and June, just you know when they're nesting. We just don't like to kick out nesting birds out of places we're yeah. hunting soon, and we're kind of lucky to have some places near us, some places far away from us, just getting hooked up on places to run on wild birds. Yeah, and there's always something to work on. We've had almost two straight weeks of 90 degree weather. And yeah. so we've been swimming a lot these past few weeks. So he did end up coming around and getting into the water, like you were alluding to earlier, that maybe maybe there was a little bit of a concern there. Apparently there's no concern left on that. No, there, there definitely was a little bit, but there was a concern in retrieving and all that not too long ago. So he's he likes swimming now, especially when it's this hot out. He yeah he's improved tremendously and I I've been doing that every day for a lot of the summer just because we don't have anything to too close anything like else to do hours. yeah yeah so might as well be swimming for sure well let's let's jump into the Nasher topic first off for those that may be listening to this that aren't familiar with what we're talking about Nasher. Kind of give an introduction to Nasher. What does it stand for, and what's kind of the the high wave, so to speak? You know, what what's it actually made of, and and uh, maybe some of the overarching or main rules within the trial system. So Nasher stands for National Shoot to Retrieve Association, and they're considered field trials. There's 16 braces per field and usually two fields 
per day, and it's usually Saturday, Sunday. So you get usually four runs a weekend. Okay. Per dog. So if you have more than one dog, I mean, you get to run those the same amount of times. Uh, they most of the time they plant. I'll go to braces first. So braces are randomly paired. Uh, dog. They paired random dog and handler. And if you're, let's say I'm brace one, this guy and his dog got brace one. On the first brace, they plant six quail. Is what I know out west they go chuck or maybe over there. Yeah. They plant six birds on the first brace just to make it fair for layover birds the rest of the <clears throat> trial. So, you- oh, so real quick, a layover bird for those that may be unfamiliar with it that's on the next braces. Let's say you're only planting five birds, but there's a leftover bird from the brace prior. I guess the people on the first brace. I guess somebody probably complained about it at one point about it being unfair that the braces behind them probably had leftover birds. So they start putting six out on the first one, and then it's five every time after that. Yep, exactly. All right, Roger that. Yeah, too easy. Yep, first brace isn't a bad one to have, just for that reason, too. It- <clears throat> well, you got a clean field and everything. So you got six birds and a clean field. So, yeah, I would want the first brace, too. Yeah, it's it's nice. There's... <clears throat> uh, where was I? I was at braces, explaining braces, Yeah. Right? Yep. So if I'm first brace and there's another guy and his dog got first brace field A, we're on field A. We sit in this blind five minutes prior and we watch this four-wheeler drive by and he's got the birds and he goes out and plants them in this pretty large field. Pretty short grass, nothing like you're hunting, but... I'd, like, well, are we talking shin deep? What a ankle I'd deep? Like, say six inches tall. So, like, okay, that's much. short. Okay, yeah. And he'll drive around planting quail, and then once he's done planting them, me and the guy we're competing with in this brace will line up at the start starting mark, which is it's pretty vast. He can really go start anywhere, and. Once they say handler's ready, let the dogs go, they go. And you want your dog to find all the birds, obviously. And some trials are different than others. There's elimination trials, and then there's just weekend trials, is what people call them. So you to win a weekend trial, you want to find four or five birds out of the five or six and you want to back and then that will four four birds and uh four retrieves and a back will probably place your top three usually so you are in direct competition with your brace mate so it's not like where ufta you're kind of racing the clock and you have a scoreboard afterwards this one is done to where you have a brace mate in the field and it's pretty much get as many birds and retrieves and backs as as you can possibly get within those five or six birds. Right. So on these weekend trials, you're not really up against or yeah, you are you're competing with your brace mate for the birds, but you're competing against the whole field with that score. 
if that yeah so if i have four birds four retrieves a back and i score a 850 and i beat my brace mate but there's three other guys that had higher scores than me those guys will get top three with and since i was the first brace you still have the next 15 braces for dogs to score higher than that Mm -hmm. on the elimination on an elimination trial which is either which is for national trials or regional trials you just want to beat your brace mate so three birds really three birds and uh I, which I won't say beat your brace mate because they don't really call it that. They do say scores. But if you lose to your brace mate, you're probably not getting on to the next round. Yeah. So So let me let me let me get this right, just clarifying because you know, yeah. I've never been to a, a, a Nasher event while it's actually taking place. Uh I, I've been there as it was wrapping up and just kind of meeting a bunch of people, but I've yet to actually see one in, in uh in action so on a weekend hunt you you want to run the dog and just get the highest scores possible and then when it's all said and done you collect the scores and you see who comes out as the winner on the elimination one you you essentially you're going up against your brace mate and if you lose that pairing with your brace mate then you're not moving on you're you're out of that first brace very unlikely that after the first round, there is a few people who lose to their brace mate and get through after the first round. Then it gets the the re- competition goes up. Yep, and they start just cutting in half, and yeah, you just you just want to beat your brace mate. I should say. Yeah, T- typical tournament rules, pretty much. Yep, you get you'll get lucky every once in a while, but you do want to just. Try to be your brace mate as best as possible. So, yeah. when you're and ultimately that that keeps somebody from just showing up like me, who's never done this before, and just having a really good lucky run, and I come out ahead and I win. Right? Like right. it 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 requires you and your dog to do it multiple times to where it's not just beginner's luck. You know, I I can see I can see you train year round, you do all this stuff. Maybe it's just like. There are some people that just right place at the right time go out and they beat me. And it's like, man, I've been doing this all year long. This guy just shows up for the first time and takes me out and then wins whatever the nationals. Exactly. That's not exactly fair. So it's just like, no, nah, you have to prove that you can do this consistently or at least re- repetitive, not just one time. Right. The biggest thing was just uh, you get your chances in Nastro, those weekend trials. You get your chances, and I have had plenty. It's just whether you're going to take advantage of them. Is your, mm-hmm. is your dog going to back? Is your dog going to retrieve uh, the way you'd like to? Is your dog going to hold that bird? And we had, in my beginning stages of Nastro, I mean, there's so many times where I could have had a open place and run and just – me and Finn weren't ready for it, I guess. So it kind of made us work a little harder, I guess. Yeah, every loss, man, it's just going to motivate you a little bit more. And so I'm curious, you said, you know, there's a lot to it, back, point, retrieve. I'm assuming each one is worth its own individual point value. Uh, you don't have to give me exact ones, but, you know, unless you unless you have the rule book memorized, which I know a lot of us just kind of nerd out and have it. But 
what what are the point structure like? You know, I'm assuming that a point <laughs> or a find is more valuable than say a back. Yes, in some cases, finds are scored out of a hundred. Likely, like a ninety is your dog slam. He's looking good. He's got some dis- distance between him and the bird. That's a 90. You hardly get 90s in Nashville unless you deserve a 90. Uh, retrieves are scored out of 100. And like I said, 90s are hard to get. You got So remote. scored, is, it, is this a subjective judge out there too? Like, yeah, so it's I'm, not just like I was the first one to point, so no, I no. get I get all the p- value. You have to actually impre- you have to find the bird and point it, but then there's a judge there that's awarding points as well. Yep, I missed that. So me, me and that guy who are competing in that first brace, you know, we each have a guy on a four wheeler that is following our dog, which is extremely nice in a trial because when they go on point, you can see their hand go up. Uh, you can just follow them too. When there's all those hills of these fields running, they kind of sit up on top of the hill. They let you know where your dog is. And they switch halfway through just so you're... Everything's fair. Yep, you can't tell somebody they're biased and all that. Just make it fair. And sometimes it's a little different just based on when me and the other handler intertwine. I mean, and they... Judges will... And everywhere judges differently, I'd say. I mean, just yeah, based on who it is, really. Yeah, that, I think that's true. Judge, and I, based on who the judge is, I mean, they see different stuff, and yeah, I think I think that's every organization or structure that you, your judges are going to be different based on who it is, where you're at, and so on. So, uh, so the judge, is there any like when you join NASRA or sign up for it? Is there a rule book that kind of explains what the judges are looking for, or is it, or is it kind of like old school trial mentality to where you know the judge just has to be impressed with you? You know, it's subjective. It's just like you know, it, it is what it is. You know, maybe he'll explain himself, maybe he won't. We'll see. But I'm just kind of curious: is there some kind of standard that the judges at least? "Quote unquote," pretend to go off of. Yep, we have a uh, judging seminars every, I think it's six months or something. And if you want to be a judge, you go there, and judges have to sit in for a few. I think they have to get their hours in, which I'm still looking to be a judge because I'm I'm new to this, so still got a lot to do in that category. But you got to sit in with a qualified judge for amount of hours or trials and see what they see. You score a card while the actual judge scores a card, and then you yep. compare them after. And like you would think, if your dog is stepping on point, that thing, that thing's going down and down. And if your dog is if it, your dog's tails down that's a rule like the high tail. Ah, uh, so there's style points yeah, in this game which which i haven't really noticed it out of a at a great scale but that that is in the rule book it's stat they do have style on it which i didn't even think there was style points but 
Well, you're a short hair. You know, typically, knock knock on wood, most short hair owners aren't going to have to worry about that. I've I've seen some, but most short hair owners don't have to worry about that. Right now, you take me and my Munsty. If I go do that, then yeah, I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, which that's the thing. Like, Brit, they don't dock the Britney's. Horrible. I mean, no offense to the Britney's, but because one of the rules is like a high tail, and I mean, how do you judge a high tail when they don't count? So, which I think is fair. Yeah. Like, why would you? Yeah. It'd be total disadvantage if it wasn't. Yeah. So what what are we aiming for here? Is like each weekend hunt or elimination hunt? Is there like a prize or title within of itself? Or I'm assuming that there's a a season long like points leader, regional, national type of structure there. Can you do you know enough about that so to kind of hit on that every a little bit? First place of the field will get you three points towards your dog. Three open points, eighteen open points will get you a, a championship for a national one-time championship, 18 points, and nine of those points have to be first-place points. So you got to get three three first places per championship you have on your dog, if that's under. And we have a high point, a regional high yeah. point winner every year. And what was the other question? That you're you're hitting it pretty much. It was is all on one. So like, what is it? Is it just bragging rights for high point leader, or because it sounds like if you want the championship, you know, you have to hit certain criteria, but you still have to win the championship. Oh, so yeah. you can be the points leader and not win the championship. Right, right. I'm assuming so that's kind of what I'm hearing. The high point leader is who had the most weekend point, regular weekend trial points. So they won a lot. They had a lot of four or five bird run weekends, and they they went to a lot of trials too. So the high point this year, they want they get it every year, which I don't think they can take it home. But they get this huge trophy, and I think it just sits in the clubhouse, and they get their name on it and stuff. Okay. But yeah, it's like they get a large trophy, and then they also get a sweet belt buckle, like with engraved with like pheasants and stuff. Yeah. So bragging cool. rights. <laughs> yeah, bragging rights too. I mean, that's everyone kind of keeps the bragging low key, but you know, on the inside that everyone is well, wanting to win. Man, I, I was just talking about this with uh, uh, Ben Bradigan. I just did an episode with him from Onyx, and we were talking about you just said something to where people within the trial system usually keep the bragging down a little bit because it's. It, what we were talking about earlier, the second you start bragging or harping on your dog, hyping up your dog a little too much and, oh, my dog's going to win, you're going to get humbled the next day. And so I think everybody within the trial organizations really kind of understand and respect that a little bit more, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I was just list, listening to one of this, your podcasts not too long ago saying how, like, some of the events that aren't supposed to be competitive – turn out being in like a toxic atmosphere i'd say just like because people don't think you know they're competitive but when they are just but in the nashville world everyone wants to win and everybody knows that yeah it's out front it's it's on the table everybody knows about it 
And that's not to say that, like, I'm not saying that, like, testing or any other trial organizations uh, uh, toxic in that way, but it, it is an element to where you 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 can't go around in the trial organization to where you direct directly compete with a brace mate in the field and just talk a bunch of noise because you're gonna your dog's gonna show like your dog is your dog and it's gonna show up regardless like you're get it, your words don't matter the action is gonna be there the next day and so a lot of people you know again i can't recall who i was talking about this with but like nothing shuts me off quicker in the bird dog world than when somebody starts my dog is better than you talk you know it's it 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 drives me up the wall i don't like it's a little old school like mentality and that's fine if that's your bag like have at it have fun with it i personally don't like it but i don't really see that in the trial organization's currently at least like when i'm dancing around i still haven't even competed yet but just going around and meeting everybody it's it doesn't seem like that's a thing anymore yeah i mean i had a few people that i thought were more like more excited than i was after that (laughs) uh success that i had and it was just like awesome to be a part of and just kind of let me know that i am in the right spot and these are a bunch of group, good group of guys here. Yeah. And I'm being around them. I'm just going to be become a better and better handler. And they're going to make sure of that, honestly. Well, in that in that light, tell me what it was like when you showed up for the first time. You know, you're young, you're you're brand new with a brand new uh, a young puppy. What was it like walking up and doing your first competition? You know, I think that's something that. I, I haven't even experienced yet. I, like I said, I haven't competed yet. So what was the mindset like? What was the support structure like within everybody in the trial when you went to your first one and you gave it a shot? So our, me and my dad actually competed in our first one last fall. Yeah, last the beginning of – actually, this would have been in the summer because it was an amateur trial. So we competed in that one and – me and my dad are driving down there thinking like, hey, our dogs are good, man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we went out there and, you know, uh, our dogs were ripping birds, not listening. Because the thing is, they don't they don't got an e-collar on. They know they don't got an e-collar on out there. So yes. that, was, that was a big transition as well. And we just... Definitely got humbled a few weekends. Our first few weekends, we got humbled a lot. And that's what was best for us. Because then we started uh, falling away from some things that we were working on and starting to work on other things that just made our dog and us just all together a better team, really. Yeah. And so... I want to get to what you changed or, or prioritized or focused on to get to that level. But real quick, I, would you say, have you been in it long enough to recognize maybe when the average person is first getting started within the organization that they, what you just described, they're kind of going into it like, all right, you know, maybe there's a shot oh, my dog's pretty good. And then they get humbled right out of the bat or right out of the gate. Would you say that that's kind of typical for people first beginning in this game? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I've we've seen some people that their first trial or second trial, they go out there and have a good run. 
and we never had that really we never really had that one that uh, the beginner's luck yeah the beginner we never had that and, <laughs> <laughs> so we saw a couple other people do that and we're like gosh man what the heck are we doing wrong and we obviously are like man that's pretty sweet dude and like we wish that happened with us and all of that and so i think you got to be prepared to have those moments those humbling moments though for sure i mean yeah. you might they're lucky and also i think me and my dad believe we probably started running them a little too young just just before they were ready you know how old were they when y'all started running so they're around a year and two months, I think, when we started running them. Okay. That's not as young as I hear some folks, yeah. you know, getting getting rolling. Some guys, man, they they roll out. <laughs> they get the puppy yep. and it's just like, hey, six months, let's let's ride. <laughs> yeah. Which the next dog I get, which hopefully I get another one soon, kind of turns into that. I I probably will start them at the same age, but I'll I'll know I'll I'll likely know more if they're ready or not at that time. Yeah. Just experience just based on my experience. Yeah. So what did you, you said that you guys got going and you got humbled right out of the gates, but it also forced you guys to kind of rethink some things or reprioritize what you guys were working on. What were you guys working on prior to that experience? And what did you guys start focusing on after the humbling experience? So we were uh, putting them on a lot of birds and kind of just making sure they were steady. A lot of launchers, which since then I kind of <clears throat> put the launchers on hold. I use them every once in a while. But we just put them on a lot of birds, had them run the field. And we just wanted them to find the bird first, you know, because that's, that's all we thought it was and all that. And so we really cracked down on a – retrieving we didn't think we we're gonna have to force fetch our dogs right off the bat but once they hit that that nine eight nine months ten months and they start getting a mind of their own well i knew that i had to force fetch finn and so we did that and that helped you know, that helped tremendously just having that taken care of and actually i had to i had to force fetch him one whole summer and then he he would about to right before wild bird hunting season obviously and he was retrieving all his wild birds to heel position but he had a collar on if he didn't bring it back i could tone him uh -oh. so so when we get to these next national trials and this is after our little fall stint where we didn't have much luck i was just coming end of this year like man we're ready now we're ready this time <laughs> and it did not work out like that <laughs> he, once he figured out his collar was off he just started becoming trial wise and hard to control for sure and he was ripping birds again and not inconsistent on his retrieves and i'm like what the heck we're putting them on all these birds and they're doing them doing it just fine in the field and we're he's retrieving all his birds just fine when i'm yeah. toning him you know? so 
Do they allow just, within NASRA, like some organizations will allow you to put the e-collar on them, but you have to give the remote to the judge, so to speak. Like, it, can you do that within NASRA? Do you know that that's a thing or not? I don't think so, because I think we would have. We would have figured that one out. <laughs> so when you when you were training and going through force fetch, did you try proofing it without a collar at the end? Like, did you get all the way through it? You said you spent the entire summer on it. Did you kind of get through it and and proof it without a collar, or is that kind of where these lessons led you to go back to the short grass and start proofing that stuff? Yeah, I I all that I can remember, I just I always had that collar on him. Just because I hear from people that you want that collar on them because if they make a mistake, you want to correct it, which that I threw that out the window because after a few trials and all that, I learned that all these guys were telling me, and this one guy specifically, who's just a legend in the game, uh, Rodney Phipps, I don't know if you it sounds vaguely familiar to me, but I don't know him. But he was like, hey, when I was your age and you didn't have it, use an e-collar, I ran him down in the field, you know. I, I ran him down and made my corrections and all that stuff, and I was like, really? <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Yep. So after he told me that, that was like three weeks before the Midwest Regional. So since then, I threw it out the window. But when I was force fetching him that first time, I, I was heavy on the collar. Just like if he's making a mistake, not like lighting him up, obviously. Just, you know, if he makes a mistake, he's got to know that it's correcting it. Just like a long check cord. Yeah. you know, Doing that. And I think my mistake was not using enough birds at the end. I should say like just... I used frozen quail. I used so. Oh, I got it. What you're saying? You taught the behavior, but you didn't proof it with actual live birds. And anybody that knows this game at all, the the live birds is a is a little bit stronger enticement or uh, overshadows a lot of the uh, learned behavior that you're after. Exactly. So after that hunting season where he had had his color on, I thought I did. I thought I was did an amazing job. And then, then those trials came. He gets snow collar, can't correct him in the field. He's doing all those, making all those mistakes again. So I'm frustrated. All these people can tell, like, I, they know how much time I spend with my dog. And I'm just like, what am I doing wrong? Am I just making him worse? Am I digging myself into a hole? that I can't get myself out of because people were saying how dogs can get trial-wise and can never – and then it's just hard to not have them trial-wise because they know you can't do anything when they're out in the field. So three week. if you have another question, otherwise I was going to go into – No, have at it, man. That Rodney Phipps, like I was saying, was telling me he used to run his dogs down in these huge fields, and I'm like – well, I'm, I don't got too many options left here. So the next three weeks after that trial, I was running Finn and I had a pinch collar in my pocket and all that. And I was, and my dad was like, I'm too old for that. So he was just, <laughs> he was just watching me 300 yards away. I say, 
well, not th- probably 200. I say, Finn, here, he ain't hooking towards me. I'm running him down and saying, just, hey, what's up, man? You're, <laughs> you're not, with me, man. I, call, I called you like 200 yards back there, brother. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I know when he can hear me, too. So. And, right, and, he, a, and a lot of that, man, somebody listening to that might just be like, man, like that that goes against a lot of what is advised out there when you have a dog that's, you know, just ignoring recall. But sometimes dogs like that need to know that you're willing to go get them. Right. Right. And and, and just you doing that, um, you haven't finished your story, but I'm interested to know how many times did you actually have to do that? If I had to bet, you didn't have to do that many times. Once you kind of showed that I'm going to do it, he he was probably like, ah, crap. Like, I got to go in. He's going to come get me even though I don't have the e-collar on. For those next two, three weeks, I I did I covered some ground. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I'd find if he didn't do something I wanted, I'd just make sure he did it without this is a lot without an e-collar now just so he knows just so he knows like when he's at a trial he thinks i can do that he thinks i can at the trial which carrying that pinch collar in my pocket if i if he's take taking a step on a back if he's taking a step on a bird which i didn't have to worry too much on the birds i might have had it done at once where pinch collar spinning them yep and that and on backs too, if if he was creeping on a back, which they'll creep and stop, or I want him stopping right when he sees it. So if he was creeping on a back, I'd do the same thing and set him back. And this was all running down. I'm sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're getting your steps in for the day. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. After after the. After those training sessions, uh, I was tired for sure. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't know if it was going to work. To be honest, really. And so you, you take two, three weeks off from trial, and you go back and you train it, and you're addressing the collar wise problem because you, you know that he's trained up to a certain level. But as soon as you take that e collar off, and that's what we call, you know, e collar dependency, e collar wise. You know, you guys are calling it trial wise. But that's what we're talking about to where the dog's trained up to a certain level, but you have to have that e-collar in order to get that level. And so talk to me, what was it like when you got back in the trial field after taking those three weeks of showing and proving to him that like, nah, man, with or without an e-collar, this is the expectation. Right. So uh, I actually, you probably won't like this as a, well, a bird hunter, but I for trials I uh, got him switched over to a whistle just for trialing. Which when you're hunting, I got a collar on him. I can tone him. And uh, I don't have any. I don't have any hate against whistles, man. I carry a whistle yeah. on me, especially my on high was, windy days. You know, sometimes yeah. that whistle's nice. Right. I was just my dad was telling me he was like, "You ain't using that thing when we're hunting." <laughs> <laughs> well, your dad's got to hang up on whistles then. All right. <laughs> Right. And uh so we got him transitioned to that a lot better. Just it beats yelling, I'll tell you that much. Right. Just when every time you yell too and your dog doesn't turn like he is listening, that dog gets docked. Yeah. Okay. 
every time you call him and he move and he move or turns like he's hunting with you, that keeps your score up. So there's a cooperation level built into the scoring system here. Yes. Okay. I forgot. I missed the o- OGB obedience. They score score on obedience, mm-hmm. and that is out of a hundred. And they score you out off your back, your one back that you get per brace, and then they score you on ground coverage okay. as well. All right, so that. that's good to know. I like that. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> and uh, transition to the collar, like I said, and he he handled like a dream, to be honest, compared to what he was. Yeah. Like, it, was it was honestly surreal just watching him like this quarter in front of me and it was just I could bring him to where I thought the birds were and sometimes I just follow him because you know he's the bird dog yeah trust the hunter with the longest nose yeah exactly but once you when you know when you know like there's a bird in a certain area it's good to be able to call him over there and And because there's times there's a brace in that midwest regional where it was two two birds and this was round three, so there was round two, 32 dogs left out of 64. Me and this guy were two two birds and two birds. Next guy who finds a bird moves on. So oh, this and this does happen. This four-wheeler is following my dog. Quail pops up from under the four-wheeler. This happens very rarely, very rarely. I've only seen it probably twice ever. And if the judge didn't see you see it, then they obviously don't know. But if they see the bird pop up, it's a marked bird. You can't go there for five minutes, three three or five minutes, one of those. And so they drove off, and I saw that bird land in this spot, and it's in the middle. And it's 2-2, like I said. This guy sees me bringing, like, Finn, hit heel heel and we worked this area where i thought it landed for five minutes we're, we're running low on time here and i'm just bringing him back bringing him back he's like oh there's no bird there there's no bird there so he goes and just tries to find another bird and then finally i get him to where him and this other dog are just running this field because that guy the guy i'm running to is a veteran of the game he knows what i'm do- he knows that i saw a bird acting. <laughs> So it's it's pretty intense. Like this is the Midwest Regionals, pretty intense. And he's at the very end. He saw my dog point just right by his dog, and that it was. And if Sealed I never, it. if I never worked on that, I would have got knocked out second round. So I just thought of. Well, you may not that. even made it to the second round if oh, you didn't work on all that. Probably not. His and that his dude, best run ever was his first run of that day too and and that leads us to this is kind of when you reached out to me you know spoiler alert you end up taking home the regional is it called a championship regional championship there regional so you end up taking that home after is this like the first thing that you're doing after taking those three weeks off to work on this stuff yes yep (laughs) So that fast, you take three weeks off preparing for this regional championship, and that fast, the first first run out of the gate, he's just nailing it for you. 
Yeah, she's uh slamming every bird, then just held held every bird just amazing. Didn't take any steps. His retrieves were just watching that was awesome. He had one it was super hot outside. He had one bird where he was retrieving to me, ran all the way to the water. This was his only messed up retrieve. Ran all the way to the water bucket with this bird in his mouth <laughs> and then came all the way back. And he did get, he got his retrieve score like cut in half. But so, <laughs> did, did he drop it to get a drink and then come back? No, or? he didn't even, he just sat in the water tank. He, I was watching oh. me in his mouth the whole time. I'm like, Finn, you better. Man, he just went and chilled in the hot tub with his bird. That's all he did. So, um, go ahead. I was just lucky enough that that didn't have any that scored and wasn't close enough for that to matter. But yeah. that was his. He had eighteen birds shot over him that weekend and handled every bird, retrieved every bird, even the one in the water. And, <laughs> and, and so, I mean. Is this your first win at the regional as well? So you you go out, you're not having success for all the reasons we've talked about before. You fix the problems, it, it, the the failures or, or losing in the trials literally requires you to refocus and reprioritize. You take three weeks off and you come back and you win your first trial, which happens to be the regional championship. Yeah, so me and Finn, you have to have five – amateur points to qualify for the regional so we had some amateur points but finn did had we hadn't had zero open points at all before this and that we started with 64 dogs and on that first brace he had his best run ever and we got a second place on that field this this will be a little hard to explain so at the regional it starts off with 64 so you get four whole fields, two whole or two whole fields filled, filled with dogs. Mm -hmm. So that's enough dogs to place you to place an actual trial. You know, once it gets cut down, you can't, there's just not enough dogs per field to be able to score as an open trial. So those first days people get placements and Finn got a second, like I said, and that was his best run ever started off the we had first brace and that's kind of why i like first brace <laughs> forever you're all, you're always going to be like first brace that's our lucky brace all right well first brace and he just i kind of knew he was he was different this weekend and he yeah. showed it right there against like i said tough competition so what, and, what, what talk to me about not to you know, jump too far ahead, but what is the regional championship? Is that, is that it? Is the season over for you? Or is there a nationals that that kind of gets you invited to kind of walk me through what the regional championship actually opens up for you, if anything? So the regional championship qualifies me for the dog of the year, uh, national trial, which is pretty big deal. Like this, Midwest is the biggest regional in the nation for Nastro. So 64 dogs are the biggest. But the dog of the year is usually 120-something dogs. So you run once, and then you wait probably two, three days until you start getting into the later Next rounds. rounds. And that's when you start running, yeah. 
so that qualified me for that. And I'm think, and I did not do the national trial after that regional just because I didn't think we were going to be ready for it. And I definitely would have signed up if I knew what was going to happen. But those fill up really fast. Wow. There's people all over the country that do those. And but I plan on doing the next national trials coming up getting into those i know we have a montana that montana trip is gonna overlap one of the national trials which sucks but what we're taking the wild bird hunting in montana yeah yeah you're gonna go chase sharpies say what are you chasing in montana grouse sharp tail i think they said there's huns yeah montana's a blast man i i i thoroughly enjoyed my time in montana last year (laughs) That's awesome to hear. I'm ex- I'm excited. Yeah. So, but and, and that's a good point to hit on is you know, I'm not knocking anybody's motivation or what they prefer to do. This is America. Do whatever you want. But you're not you're not going to forego wild bird hunting to go trial, right? And and that's been my problem with the space. I have an interest, as anybody who's listened to this podcast longer than a couple weeks knows, I have an interest in doing it. But I have a hard time giving up a wild bird hunt trip or even weekend to go trial. At some point, I'm going to have to do it because I have to, I have to experience it. I have to try it and go do it. But it's, it seems like every time that a weekend is available, it's hard for me to do. And then it's like down here in the south, right when season ends at the end of February, it's already getting hot, and so the trial system's already pretty much wrapped up for me down in this region right exactly uh i was gonna say like when we're talking about those watery trees and all that the final brace i don't know if you knew but once it's down to the final two dogs there you go for one hour i didn't know that with 10 birds so and and it was hot so i was pretty excited for just 10 birds. I get to shoot a lot of birds over my dog. If I get second, you know, I'm still stoked about this weekend, stuff like <laughs> I said that after every round. I was like, man, I, I'm so happy that I just moved on, you know? Yeah. And then just kept putting it together. And then it came down to the final hour. And usually there's, well, this is what we were told that not too many people stick around when for the final hour just because it's these two guys that dominate us all year you know (laughs) right and i mean there was just tons of people at the gallery watching cheering you on cheering finn on probably more so they were just seeing if he could do it to be honest probably yeah they all said like hey if you if you can get that dog handle on that dog i mean he's gonna be special and finally when i do I don't even know. It was just still can't yeah. believe it happened. So. Well, I mean, that that's awesome. You know, anybody, again, when I started this is, you know, you truly did something special right out of the gate. You know, your first real season doing this with your dog and you you win the regional to where I'm not that familiar within the natural game, obviously, as, as we've kind of discussed. But I also know that that doesn't happen very often. And just the fact that, you know, if it was, as we described earlier, a one-shot pony and just one-trick pony and you go out there and you have beginner's luck and you nail it, like, I'm not taking anything away from that if that was what would, what happened, but you 
you competed against a field of 64 and how many of those people and dogs have been in this game for, for years, how many people have been doing this for decades and have never won the regional, right? Like it's, it's, you know, I, I don't want to overhype it, but it is something to appreciate because it, you could very easily do this the rest of your life and, and never win again, you know, at that level, at least. To say how hard it is to win the regional, there's only been one dog ever in the Midwest that's won it twice. So there you go. That's going to be a goal for us, I guess. <laughs> you got plenty of time. You got it knocked out before he's two. You know, you got you got time, and now you kind of know what goes into it as well, as well as understanding, you know, the training beforehand in the short grass away from the trial how that prep leads into the deal. I mean, and honestly, when, when you reached out, this was the, the thing that stood out to me the most, especially it's, it's not very common that somebody brand new getting into the gun dog world observes or even notices the lessons that you did throughout this quick beginner journey, right? Like I know guys that have been doing this for 10 years and they're, you know, 30 something, 40 something years old and they wouldn't have even taken the time to backtrack, take three weeks off, go back to the short grass, you know, pay attention to your dog while it's running wild pheasants in its first season. You know, it's not to toot your own horn, but it is admirable in what we preach that you got into this and you did it the right way and it paid off. You know, it, that that's that's the lesson that I hope all everybody listening to this kind of comes away with. Right. And just having all these resources, really, because I just feel for the people who had to learn it all back in the day who didn't have <laughs> School of Hard Knocks, <laughs> like Unique or uh, Standing Stone Kennels YouTube. I mean, there's there's just countless amount of information out there now. And I just love soaking it in. So, yeah, well, man, I, I, I enjoy it. I, I'm glad you reached out, you know, again. It, you know, some of the praise you harped on on the podcast for myself, you know, I think it was a little undeserving of, of my end. You put in the work, you just, you know, you hit play and I recorded the podcast. So I appreciate you reaching out and giving me some props, but you and Finn did all the hard work. And again, thanks for reaching out. Let me know the success that you found in in the journey, you know, the learning process, because I, I really enjoy seeing people get into this and find success because now you're probably hooked for life. I mean, you, you're already talking about a second dog. You're talking about going for a repeat, you know, all that stuff, but you're also not losing sight of wild bird hunting. And again, I can't reiterate that enough. Not that I'm knocking the guys that just do the games, but I, I feel like that the, the priority or emphasis should always remain on actual hunting because these are these are hunting dogs and i think that the games are supposed to highlight or showcase the hunting qualities of these dogs and that's why i appreciate people that do both uh kind of hand in hand it's you know they don't really prioritize one over the other if that makes sense right which i think so too i think more of the priceless memories other i mean the midwest regional is pretty sweet but i think just like the more priceless memories are you and your buddies, you and your dad, you and your son going out with your dog and finding those wild birds, getting that first grouse, getting that, you know, 
it's you can't beat that really no no absolutely and that's that's the that's the highlights or the highlight reel that we all think about most of us that haven't done the trial now you just you you have a a one up on a lot of us to where you know maybe we don't have the the championship to our name or our dogs but uh it's it's something to where again you know i just i i just enjoy hearing successful stories especially guys that are just starting out so kudos to you kudos to finn i appreciate you sharing the story coming on here and letting us know and and reaching out and listening in the first place man appreciate you having me nick hopefully we can stay in touch yeah absolutely man we'll check in soon good luck in montana and uh yeah man keep in touch and let me know how the trial season goes next year sounds good man All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Braden and his early journey with uh, with his short hair fin. This was presented by Standing Stone Supply, DT Systems, Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. This was kind of an interesting topic for me on, on a couple different fronts. You know, the first of which, as as I talked about in the episode, is I haven't really covered anything Nastra specific over the years. And so that was kind of fun getting to hear a little bit more about Nastra and what they have to offer. But also I was really intrigued with the fact that Braden is so young and early on into his adventure and what he's already kind of accomplished, what he's figuring out and learning and also his motivation. You know, it's you hear in the community all the time, It's there's a few hot button topics. I'm going to try not to be on my soapbox for too long here, but you hear a lot of people talking about getting new hunters involved. You know, you hear a lot about the R3, uh, recruit, retain, and reactivate, stuff like that. And, you know, that there are some people that, that try and claim that we don't need more hunters. So if you're one of those people that, you know, that you may not agree with this sentiment, but ultimately if, if our goal is to not only bring new people into the hunting community as well as the gundog community, in my opinion, our time is, is really served better by trying to find people such as Braden. You know, you're, you're, you have a few things with him to consider here. You know, he's a 21-year-old aspiring trainer, as he said, he hopes to be a pro trainer one day. And he got into it for his desire of wild bird hunting. And while he was ultimately trying to go wild bird hunting, he was also open to new experiences and new things. So, you know, let's let's unpack that for a second. You know, he's young. You hear all the time about youth. You have everybody trying to do these youth hunts year in, year out, and it's an admirable goal. It's a lot of fun. I've guided at a number of them, so I, I, I encourage everybody to go to them and, and enjoy them for what they are. But when we talk about doing a quote-unquote youth hunt, uh, when you're starting to talk to people around, you know, 18, 20, 21 years old, to me, that is even more impactful because they can immediately take action. You know, they should be working at that age. They, they, they're driving, they have the ability or, or the capability to go get hunting licenses and act on you hooking them in the first place. Whereas you might have trouble doing that with say a, a 10 year old or 12 year old, by all means do it because it's fun 
fun. I always love watching kids' eyes just glow and, and, and pop on the dogs. But if their parents aren't into it and they're not going to follow through and get the get the kid out there or go by the dog and, and start training, then that 10-year-old, you, you have – you have a, a, a wide gap between when you expose them to the sport and when they can actually take action themselves. And so that's why when you're talking about getting people involved, especially younger folks, you know, 18 to you know mid-20s, to me, that's really valuable because A, they're young, they're motivated, they're, they're enthusiastic. I mean, heck, you heard from Braden by him being motivated and getting involved and getting his own dog, it brought his his dad back to the sport. You know, his dad had been out of it for a while from back in the heyday when Iowa was really uh, hitting on the wild bird population. Then he got out of it. Well, when Braden got got back into it, well, his dad was like, well, yeah, I don't want you to have all the fun without me. So he got his uh, his dog and and he's back into it. So, you know, there's a couple things right there. You know, there's recruit, reactivate. And and now, you know, we just have to retain them. You know, if, if you're an R3 advocate, there's there's your three R's right there. But also the fact that in his youth and, and, and motivation comes his aspiration and goals within this. You know, he wants to be a pro trainer. He also has goals to uh, extend his competition experience within NASRA. And also he has his goals to, uh, with wild bird hunting. You heard at the end of that, he, he hasn't lost his desire to go wild bird hunting and that's still his top priority. But this is the biggest takeaway that I had after talking to him and getting to hear his story a little bit, is he's open to advice. And this is something you hear a lot from people, whether it's a NAVDA chapter or or different organizations, fill in the blank. I'm not picking on anybody or any one uh, uh, organization or whatever, but they complain about younger people getting involved and not staying involved, that they're gone and and that it's hard to get younger people involved. Uh, you know, there's obviously going to be some cases where that's the case. But in my experience, if you give the younger folks an avenue to get involved and stay involved and, and have some skin in the game, give them a, jo- a job or a task, feed them, so to speak, and they will stay involved and they will keep that motivation. But when you just have them show up and you just kind of do it business as usual, you never give them the avenue because you don't trust the younger folks to get involved. Well, then you can't sit there and gripe, uh, uh, you know, a year later when they're no longer coming to training day. And, and, you know, again, I'm not I'm not here to get on my soapbox for too long, but I, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there because that was some of the takeaways I've had uh, since talking to him is is there's a lot to glean from this in terms of hunter recruitment. And, and I, as I've kind of talked about in previous episodes and outros, you know, you can't sit on your couch and complain about the caliber of hunters. Uh, or lack thereof of, of hunters, you can't complain about how people are hunting 
and the lack of ethics or, or whatever if you don't actually coach them and, and try and do your best to teach them the correct way. And so when you have folks such as Braden that get involved for wild bird hunting and somebody suggests, hey, go check out Nastra, well, look at what he just did. Not only did he go check it out, but he really sunk his teeth into it. And what he was struggling. He was riding the struggle bus, as we all do when we try new things. But another old-timer gave him a suggestion on how to work on some of the issues. And what did he do? He stopped, took a few weeks off, addressed some of the issues, and then he came back and was immediately rewarded with the results at the test. So there's a lot of lessons that you can glean from this type of story. And that's why I thought it was deserving of a full episode. So, you know, kind of take it for what you will. I hope I hope you guys enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, what, what I'm sitting here preaching about kind of sinks in or at least makes a little bit of sense and, and some consideration uh, for, for all you listeners out there. But I'll, I'll I'm going to get off the soapbox now. Start wrapping this up. As far as housekeeping, I'm going to keep it real simple this week. I know I've been harping on a lot of things the past few weeks, such as YouTube and Patreon and all that. I'm going to save all that. Uh, if you are listening to this and you enjoy the podcast, please, right now, whatever uh, – app, whatever platform you're using, go leave us a five-star rating and review that they really help. They help us be found by other listeners. I I can't tell you exactly how the algorithm works and all that stuff, but by you leaving a five-star rating and a review, letting us know what you like, or, or maybe, you know, hope to hear or, or whatever in that written review, it goes a long way. And I would really appreciate that. So with that being said, again, thanks as always for hitting download. And, uh, I look forward to bringing another episode episode to you very soon. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and again year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.